0: welcome to the modern warrior podcast i am your host gavin Meenan, and on this podcast i will be speaking to inspirational individuals who specialize in the field of physical and mental health to offer you the tools that you need to become a stronger healthier and more confident man in today's world hello and welcome to episode number 71 of the modern warrior podcast Today, I am absolutely honored to be joined by Jason Gaddis. Jason helps you to take a relationship pain and turn it into love. He is the host of the Smart Couple podcast, and he is on a mission to teach people the one class they didn't get in school, how to do romantic relationships. That's why he founded the Relationship School. He was emotionally constipated, his words, not mine, for years before relationship failure forced him to turn his life over to learning about relationships. Now he's been married to his wife since 2007 after some brutal breakups and has two incredible kids. Jason teaches you that hidden within any and all relationship pain are the seeds of you becoming more empowered in your life and more connected to yourself. Jason, how are you, my man? It's great to have you here.
1: Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Gavin.
0: Absolute privilege. How is life in the States?
1: It's, uh, it's good. You know, it's full, full on. Um, I feel grateful for my health and my family's health and um, my safety and just so much shit going on in the world. So yeah. I feel grateful to be here right now, healthy, talking to you.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Likewise, man. Gratitude is such a powerful tool, isn't it? I mean, in times of difficulty, times of stress. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so very grateful to have you here and I wanted to open up with, with something that I heard you speak about before and it certainly struck me. And I think it's very relatable to a lot of men out there, which is your, which was your difficulty in getting in touch with your own emotions or allowing yourself to feel so that you can get in touch or you could perhaps understand or be a little more empathetic towards your partners or your wife's feelings and emotions so mm-hmm. that's something I'm that's something I've struggled with for a long a long time and having this very sort of uh very sort of stoic approach when it came to difficulties in the relationship, and I would sort of shut down my emotions and sort of think my way out of a situation or think my way out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and not yeah. allow myself to feel, which obviously created a lot of difficulties in the relationship because I, you know, you, there's a difficulty then in terms of connection, in terms of merging together to work through, a, work through a struggle or a problem together. So it becomes a very isolated and lonely avenue to go down. And I've been stuck in that place lately. So yeah. can you talk to us about your journey there and, and the difficulties you had and how you came out of it, came out the the side of it?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. So I, I want to start with kind of the
0: punchline for me is, is
1: if a man can't access his emotions, um, and he continues to stay stuck there, he's never going to have a fulfilling partnership. I don't think. Um, so it's, it's really a great question. It's so important that us men learn this it's in us. Uh, we just got conditioned, uh, to, you know, suck it up basically. So, yeah, I, the, I'll try to give you the arc of just some, some highlights of a story that might be relevant to you or the listeners here. So uh, like a lot of guys, I grew up pretty sensitive and I had a stern father and I was already pretty emotional kid, but my dad wasn't having it, you know? So I got the message from my him and my environment that, and other boys on the playground, like don't show emotions. That's all weakness. So I just pushed all that down to fit in and belong and I was in a sports culture, so I played a lot of sports and, you know, you don't want to be the kid crying, right? Um, so I, you know, that was fine because I, I eventually figured out friends and did pretty well in sports. and But then I, I got into intimate relationships with women in my late teens and 20s, and that was a major problem. Uh, anytime they would wonder how I was feeling or, hey, what's wrong or what's going on with you? I had no language. I was extremely shut down, uh, emotionally constipated and I just didn't know how to talk about what was going on inside. And when they asked and kept asking, I got more irritated and annoyed. So I would shut down further. I would push them away and rinse and repeat. I did that for 10 years in a, in a many relationships, shorter term, like six months or under kind of relationships. And, It wasn't until age 29 when I had another, yet another failed relationship where I had blamed the woman for the relationship being a problem. And it was like, she wasn't hot enough or she wasn't this enough or outdoorsy enough or, you know, whatever the label was. Right. So I conveniently blamed every woman I dated and they were all good women. Um, And I, I didn't have a clue, Gavin, that it was me, that I was actually part of the problem here. So... Breaking up with another woman at 29, I I realized in the car breaking up with her, I was like, I, I just had an epiphany that I was kind of the common denominator here, and maybe I was the problem. And it was uh, it was bittersweet because I was ending a relationship, and it was very uncomfortable conversation. But I was also kind of um, excited because I was onto myself. And so once I realized I was the problem, I was like, okay, I am going all in on this to try to figure this out. So I you know, within six months I was in a graduate program to study myself in psychology. Soon after would meet my wife, now wife, um, avoided her for about a year. And then <laughs> we got into a relationship and I, you know, I, I was just, you know, therapy, psychotherapy, and both individual therapy and group therapy. And then being in a class of awesome humans, all studying and nerding out on the human condition, I started to feel, and I started to dethaw thaw right. I started to cr- enter into safe environments where I could open up and be emotional and learn how to feel. My first therapist for like six months asked me, what are you feeling? And I, my answer for six months was, I don't know. And then it became, uh, I feel numb. And then eventually it became, I feel angry. And then I, you know, I, I started to learn the language and, uh, I started having way more fulfilling male friendships and with my new male friends. Um, and, soon to be wife, we started having a, a really nice connection and it was, it was awesome. Uh, so I, I, you know, I had to learn, I had to go on a journey there and see the value of feeling. And I joined a men's group and that helped me feel and be seen in front of
0: other men. And yeah. Do you think it's mostly down to, uh, a fear of feeling, which is, has been somewhat projected from your father potentially because he too is, is afraid to feel and yeah again when you when you look at the uh when you look at the stigma of, of men's health and depression and suicide rates and everything else it's almost as like as if no like don't feel because if you feel you know you, you may get depressed or you may get anxious and therefore you may slip down the slippery slope of um difficulties with your mental health which is actually a potentially a kind of productive effect in terms of uh avoiding that pitfall and so is, is there something going on there in society that men are avoiding the feeling because of what they may eventually fall into such as depression or
1: yeah yeah i think that's that, that's pretty accurate i think a lot of guys are just scared right and they're it's like we could ask well, why are they scared what are they afraid of is it's like the some monster that's going to get them or something but if we rewind the tapes to every guy i've ever worked with in a deep way we've you know traced the steps back into their childhood and they got hurt you know when they were emotional as a 2 year old as a 10 year old as a 15 year old they got made fun of they got bullied they got you know, beat up slapped whatever and so they equate opening up and feeling with pain and suffering and hurt and so it's you know a lot of this is unconscious to a lot of guys they're like no i just don't feel man i'm just not a feeler but if they start doing the work, as you know, they they start going, "Oh my god, like I'm I'm actually totally avoiding here and I I had a really bad experience as a kid or or maybe it's just in their body. They don't have a cognitive memory, but their body might remember that's really scary to go there." And then it gets reinforced with conditioning, male conditioning, right? And then they do a lot of men think they're going to lose control if they start feeling and things are going to get worse in their life, but and and that's, you know, I had to make that journey. I'm sure you have as well Is like, you know, being so scared to feel that the world's going to come crashing down. And then you find out, no, it doesn't. And actually the world gets a little brighter Yeah. and my relationships get a little deeper and everything kind of gets
0: better. <laughs> yeah. And you're, and yeah, you're stuck in your own head as such. Cause I remember, <clears throat> I remember communicating that to my wife that she's, she would have to sit me down and almost force me, to talk or to communicate. And, Mm. and, uh, I, I tell her, look, I'm, I'm I'm just afraid. I'm afraid to express myself. I'm afraid to tell you how I feel. And her response was, look, whatever that fear is, those are, are your own made up assumptions. I don't, I'm not, I don't feel that I'm not going to attack. I'm not going to, there's no threat here towards you, but it's some sort of assumptions in your own head. That's of course linked to, some sort of experience in the past, which of course I've had to then take with me and then unpackage that and process it and understand what it was. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I mean, as you said, yeah, a lot of it does go, go back to childhood. I've had to, had to go to some dark places and revisit them and understand what was really going on there. And it's, it's it's a potentially like a fear to express yourself as well because perhaps one of the biggest difficulties in a relationship is avoiding conflict and for a lot of men when they again this is you'll you'll know more about this perhaps than i do but if you express yourself as a as a child in terms of you express your anger or your sadness or even your happiness that it was somewhat rejected by your parents or by your peers or teachers people that you needed people that you needed in your life to love and attach to and you're then made to believe that there's something wrong with you if you do express Mm -hmm. yourself so you shut everything down and therefore, because it was met with, the, with anger, you're afraid to express yourself now as an adult because it's going to pose the same threat. Again, an assumption yeah. it's going to pose the same threat. So you don't have these arguments with your wife. You don't express yourself because, again, as you said, there's a, there's a massive threat there. That's your own assumptions based on something from the past. And that's for you to take and unpackage and do that work on your own and of course do the work together with in the relationship but there's also um, sort of going off a little bit of a tangent but something I was asked about a week or two ago is that a lot of therapists a lot of psychotherapists or psychologists or people in that field have have different arguments for men expressing themselves in front of their women to the point where they're potentially breaking down or crying. And I'm interested in your perspective on that, because from my perspective, it then maybe feels like if the man is crying in front of the woman or or the, or the man is perhaps being emotional in front of the woman, that the woman then has to feel this responsibility to hold an emotional space for him, which again, could be quite destructive to the relationship. So what's your thought process on that when it comes to actually expressing yourself or breaking down in front of a woman like again from my perspective i say okay maybe do that work outside the marriage in a men's group or with men or with a psychologist or therapist or whatever you need to do and then bring that progress with you bring that bring that bring that with you into the marriage and then sort of try and work it out between both of you and to move forward together as opposed to just unloading your your difficulties and problems in front of your woman so again i i'm not saying i know the answer it's just this is my perspective on it i'm very interested to hear yours on it
1: yeah yeah my perspective on that is i look i want to be myself in my marriage right uh, i'm committed to that in my life and if it means i'm wailing on the floor like a baby that's what it means if it means i'm raging uh, and she can hold that because she's got a huge capacity mm-hmm. and me with her as well so it sort of transcends any gender-like roles of men aren't supposed to do this in front of their woman. It's like, who cares? Like we're just two adults going through life and wouldn't we wanna see each other and support each other through a hard to- hard moment or a hard time. So that's really my position there. And, and uh, I will say uh, to your point that if men are only going to their wife for emotional support, it puts the wife in a little bit of a bind because she feels like he's she's his only emotional support and it's the only safe place for him to feel. That can weigh on some women. And it's over time, if that never changed, that, that could, she can get a little burnt out and resentful that he's not also getting support elsewhere. So some of the lone wolf guys who just lone wolf it and never tell any other men about their issues they rely deeply and heavily on their wife. Um, but that can, that can I've seen it burden the wife if he's not also getting support elsewhere. But that's not been true in my experience. Um, there was a moment early on in my relationship where I felt like I was kind of in my little boy, like I was like five years old. And, you know, I don't want my wife to become my mother, right? Holding me like my mom that I, because my mom never did this for me. Again, once in a while, that's fine. Uh, but I need to go, like you're saying, I need to go also do that work with a psychotherapist or someone who's trained to to do that, right? It's tricky with my wife and I, because we're both trained psychotherapists and relationship coaches. So of course, we had, to, we had to figure out some of those boundaries over time. But at the end of the day, man, I, I want to be me. She wants to be herself. At this point in our, our relationship, 14 years in, married 18 together, it's just like, whatever, bring it.
0: Okay. Yeah. There's freedom there in that relationship. Complete freedom. Yeah. 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 Don't pretend to be somebody else. Yeah. That's incredible place to be. Yeah. yeah.
1: Or, or like my wife would feel pretty upset if I was like taking my insides, my heart and my pain to someone else and not, and like coming back all put together. She'd be like, dude, what the fuck, man? You got to tell me about what's going
0: on in there. Yeah, She'd want to know. Yeah. And this is a lot of this is down to the man actually committing to the woman as well, isn't it? Because there's, um, there's a fear of commitment, obviously, and the fear of commitment is potentially linked to the fear of being rejected. Like if you, again, go back to fully expressing yourself in front of your woman, you're being true to yourself, that that's going to be pushed back by the woman. It's going to be rejected. And for a lot of men, there's a fear of going all in because of that potential threat. And it's something I I had this conversation with a friend of mine some time ago before I went all in. And he told me about the previous relationship he he was in. And he said it was the first time in a relationship that he actually gave himself fully to the woman. And it felt incredible. It felt so liberating. Mm -hmm. And I thought, liberating, incredible. Like to me, (laughs) that's like a massive threat. And then (laughs) I'm asking, okay, what's going on here with me that I, that I can't see from this perspective. And of course that, that began to, that was a, a massive catalyst for changing my relationship. Um, Just that mm. one shift in perspective. So there's, there's a lot of that going on too. And then if they can't fully commit to the relationship or can't fully express themselves there, they're more likely then to express themselves in porn or affairs, right. or prostitution or something else where they can go express themselves, but there's no commitment. There's no fear of rejection. Go there, have your fun, and go back to the to the marriage still a broken man so
1: yeah right
0: again this this could be a massive cause of the um, porn epidemic that we're experiencing at the moment too you know there's so many men just hooked on that thing because potentially it's down to the fear of of rejection being one cause of it is there anything else you could add to that
1: yeah i mean it's it's a real uh, to be a adult man you know a- deeply committed, mutually beneficial, respectful partnership is, is scary. Um, but it's so badass. It's so liberating. Um, I'm with your friend, like it's so it's to me, it's where it's at because it becomes a really a spiritual journey of and a spiritual practice of being ourselves in a committed partnership and, and bringing that kind of sexual energy or interest or whatever into the marriage. Um, you know, cause a lot of guys have a lot of shame here, uh, but it's like, dude, test the water, start, start like asking, you know, you want to be with people who accept you, you know, and, um, where you don't feel like you have to hide a part of yourself. So I, I don't, that's not freedom to me. You know, I've got to hide myself. I want, I want to be myself. And yeah, at times we go through phases where we do hide a little bit and we're scared and, but and there's shame there. Yeah. I, I think, um, The fear of coming back to the fear of commitment, though, you know, a lot of guys are afraid to surrender um, because it does feel a little out of control and there's stuff about feeling trapped in a relationship. And what if this doesn't work out? Or what if I'm not, I lose interest in five years? And and all this is just like the mind. It's just like the monkey mind. It's like, look, man, is she good enough? Stop comparing her to all the supermodels you've been looking at for your whole life and find a good human being who's, attractive to you and just go all in and find out what happens and you're gonna find out that there's a tremendous amount of freedom in that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on the on the other side there's there's a lot of loneliness. I mean, <clears throat> if you were to avoid commitment, avoid going all in, what's the what's the replacement to that? You're going to spend your life on empty flings and porn and all these things that are by no means fulfilling, but gives you sort of some quick yeah. release of, of dopamine and a feel-good factor leaves right. you a lot more lonely and isolated and empty within. So
1: That's who I would have been if I didn't like start working on myself and looking at myself. I would have been that guy who's, you know, turning fifty and um still going to bars trying to pick up twenty five year olds. Um and trying to look cool and I, I don't know, like it just would have been a pretty miserable life. I, I see men like that and they don't look very happy to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of it's just a front as well, isn't it? I mean, it's um yeah, it's it's a persona that's again that's been put on, but but then there's the there's a the broken there's still the broken, lost, lonely little boy within that hasn't been um right, hasn't been attended to, hasn't hasn't been healed. So so important to do this work. And then okay, so we're in a relationship now, and and things are moving forward, but maybe there's still some difficulties there. I, again, this is a process, of course, and one of the most difficulties, one of the most difficult things in a relationship, I find, and I think you'll agree because you've you've written a book about it, is is conflict in a relationship and how to perhaps navigate that or negotiate it or to have a healthy conflict within the marriage, is this, is there such a thing as a healthy conflict within the marriage or Again, oh yeah. Do you just lay on? Yeah.
1: It? Yeah. All, all conflict is an opportunity, no matter if it's healthy or unhealthy, it's an opportunity. And, um, a lot of men shy away from just having hard conversations, you know, again, like, honey, I'm surfing porn. Uh, oops. Like, let's talk about it. That's a scary fucking conversation. Right. Um, Another scary conversation is just saying, Hey, I, I, I'm having a hard time with your parents and the way they are and how they treat you and how they treat me. And, or I'm having a, you know, another scary conversation is about money and debt and finances and sex. And it's all can be kind of conflictual and challenging, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We want to find partners who are up for the challenge of working through conflict effectively because it's, it's the absence of conflict that creates stuck, stale, boring relationships and very superficial relationships. So deep, incredible partnership is involves conflict. And I teach that it's not the conflict itself that is really the issue. It's how quickly you recover from the conflict, the disagreement, the change of values, the um, fight that you had yesterday. It's how quickly can you recover because it's through the conflict repair cycle, I call it, that builds relationship security over time. So if you think about working out, which you know a lot about, um, you have to push and, and work against resistance and friction to get stronger, right? It's the same in a marriage. You actually have to experience adversity to become a stronger couple. If you're not experiencing any adversity in your relationship and you're avoiding it, your relationship's flaccid, your muscles are weak, you're not as resilient and strong. So conflict in repairing through it and getting to a better place makes you stronger. And that's really essentially what my book is about is how to do that.
0: And when it comes to conflict in a relationship, are you quite conscious of the immediate environment in terms of the, the, the children? For example, do you would you openly have conflict? Would you openly have an argument or conflict with your wife in front of your children, or is it like, hey? Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. My wife and I fight all the time in front. Not all the time. When we fight, <laughs> I'll put it that way. We uh, we do it in front of our kids, and they get, you know, they come over and they're like, "Dad, what about it? And I'm just like, "Honey, like, mom and I are having a really hard conversation, as you can see. Uh, we've got to finish this, and then I'll attend to you." but this is, this right now needs to happen. Um, and then sometimes they're like, when are you guys going to be done? Cause you know, we're two very educated people around this stuff. So we, you know, we like to get in down deep in there and try to resolve what's going on, um, as a team. But I think it's really a great model so that our kids know how to do it when they're grownups. We're showing them, right? Kids learn by the big people, by watching the big people. They don't learn by when the big people go hide in another room and stuff it till a later day, what they learn is hard conversations happen behind closed doors. And then they have no fucking clue to have a hard conversation themselves because they haven't seen anyone do it. I think that's a disservice to kids. Yeah. Now, if it's abusive shit like that, of course, like that shouldn't happen in front of kids, but that shouldn't happen, period. (laughs) You want to leave those kind of relationships.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, on, on that point too. Is there are there some non-negotiables that men should adhere to when it does come to a relationship or to a woman? Again, to speak from a man's perspective, because it's mostly men we're speaking to here on this podcast. So, if you are in a relationship and there is a lot of conflict, a lot of arguing, at what at what point do you feel you should you leave? Is it is it just that there's there's no progress here? There's no um, it's not getting anywhere or yeah, yeah, what, exa- exactly. What, basically.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I think there is a time to leave and it's usually when you have an unwilling partner. You know, if you have an unwilling partner who won't come to the table and learn how to work through conflict effectively with you and you get year in and year out of that, that's that's a relationship that can't be successful. It's completely impaired and being hindered by the person who's clamping down and saying no, I don't want to do this. Or it's all you right in the case of you know the narcissistic dynamic where their blame is completely going one way you can't work through things with people like that and so yeah it's time to move on but when you have two willing people if you get stuck that's normal and then it's like you go hire a coach or a counselor or you've you know you read books and you try to find your way together and you learn how to be a team um and and most people are winging it in their marriages they're just winging it right and um <laughs> winging it gets you the results you're getting (laughs) so you know when you're winging it and you keep getting stuck in the same places it's that's just ignorance that's stupidity you gotta like get some fucking help and um outside help that you're both receptive to yeah let's get some outside help in here it's kind of it's kind of vulnerable to let people into your marriage but do you want an empowered marriage or do you want to stay stuck kind of winging it thinking you know how to get through it when you keep doing what you're doing and staying stuck like it's it doesn't make any sense.
0: Okay. Yeah. 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 That's good, man. A lot of value there. And there's uh, obviously the, the question of the kids too. So you're in a a marriage, you've got a couple of kids and have you got, have you yourself, have you, do you have a structure or routine which enables you to have some sort of uh, family relationship balance in terms of time with your kids, time with your, with your wife and, and then of course, time together. And and how do you sort of operate that, or, or is there a, a hierarchy in terms of okay, you know, mom and dad, we come first, and, and the kids come afterwards, and uh, we've got to make sure that we are serving each other for, of course, seven. You're serving yourself, perhaps personally first, and then serving each other, and then of course you can serve the ch- serve the children. And how do you sort of operate that in terms of your dynamic, or is there is there sort of a healthy balance to be found there, um, so that it's not all family time, you know, everyone together, uh, or it's not all mommy and daddy time. And then the kids are being neglected or what's your sort of perspective? Yeah, is yeah man. This well?
1: is, yeah. It's a, it's a great question for all of us parents out there. How do you balance, you know, family and your relationship and work and all that? I mean, it's, it's kind of like the daily question <laughs> for any family. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of family. I love being a dad. It's like one of my highlights of my life is being a father. My kids are 11 and 13, boy and a girl. And I have been extremely involved in my kids' lives from day one. Um, I was a part-time stay-at-home dad way back when for at least five years. As my business kind of got more serious, I, I we went into more traditional roles. Um, I'm working, she's working less, but she's working. She's still never dropped her work because her professional career is really important to her. But man, we couldn't do it without each other. And so we at we being in a good place, uh, it, you know, it changes the vibe in the home when the two parents aren't in a good place. The kids sniff it out and they start monitoring and moving around and shape-shifting around that dynamic if parents are really struggling. So we put our relationship, yeah, number one, it's like we come first. Um, so we have regular date nights every week uh that was harder when they were younger but we still made it happen it was less often but it was like once every other week or once a month at the very least to really you know you got to push yourself because when it's divide and conquer and you got a couple of kids you can easily fall into just logistics and roles and duties and then you lose the connection right um so the parents you know showing the kids no, that you dig each other that you're really appreciate each other, I think is essential for children. If, if you want your kids to grow up with healthy relationships, you know, if you don't care as much about that, then yeah, you can keep in that stuck dynamic, but it's going in, it's you're showing your kids how to do relationship every day, all day. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but family time is also important. You know, we, we do family things on the weekends and we family dinner every night religiously. Um, that's a great connection, bonding time for us as a family. Um, the summers we always get outdoors after dinner. So, you know, I'd be curious what you do as well. We just, it, it matters
0: a lot to me though. Family. Yeah. Yeah. Having some non-negotiables there. It's it's important. Yeah. Just the, the yeah. date negotiable, the family dinners are non-negotiables. So yeah. The main priorities, obviously maybe, yeah, a priority is, is maybe a better term than non-negotiable, non-negotiable but yeah. Yeah. That,
1: priorities. That's, yeah. that's right. Cause sometimes I want to go hang with a friend and I miss dinner um, cause I'm with a friend. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine too
1: yeah totally we we def- definitely support each other i have a concept i call standing for three i take a stand for my own success i take a stand for my wife's success and i take a stand for our success and she does the same thing and um you know that way we that with that framework we kind of can't lose you know
0: okay taking a stand does that mean taking responsibility you
1: no it means like putting my staff in the ground like i i i have your back I have my own back. I have your back, her back. And then, uh, I have our back. Like I'm not going to let us down. I, I am all in on this. Okay. I want my wife to live her life and be successful in who she is. I don't want her to conform to who I want her to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And and what do you feel is, is one of the biggest challenges Again, speaking to men directly and perhaps we've covered some of it there right now, but some of the biggest challenges that men are facing right now, because as I mentioned earlier, there is um, a porn out there at the moment. There were, there's a lot of yeah. um, overindulgence in, in porn, if that's even the right term for it, but certainly uh, an unhealthy relationship with porn, but yeah, there's uh there's, there's soft porn all around us as well. You go into Instagram, you know, Instagram, love right. porn website, TikTok, or Facebook or any of these sort of things. So there's a lot of triggers out there for men. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For me, that's potentially one of the biggest challenges, and along with that, of course, something you mentioned earlier is the shame that's linked to men and their sexuality. Now, I can speak about that because I—I I don't know about yourself, but certainly I grew up in a in a uh, in a Catholic family, and within Catholicism, there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of shame yeah. around sex. Mm-hmm. Even again, sex is one topic, but around a lot of different behaviours, and if you. If you did something wrong, did something bad. If you had uh, dirty thoughts, it was a sin. That's bad. That's wrong. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Gains a lot of shame around, around sex and sexuality, which is such an important factor in a relationship. So again, it goes back to maybe the fear of expressing your, your want for a healthy sex life with your wife or perhaps indulging in some of the. The fantasies you could play out together potentially you know to to Mm -hmm. up, you know to bring more life to your sex life and that you're not sort of taking that with you and and that you know using porn as your way to to get off so which again disconnects you from her and the relationship so yeah shame i think is a big factor for a lot of men when it comes to sex oh yeah
1: yeah yeah i could say a lot here we could probably talk about this one for hours you and i um yeah, I had a a little bit of a porn problem in my 20s. Um, and then, gosh, my men's group helped me sort of dial that in and I just got more integrity with myself and how I wanted to show up in the world. It's not an issue for me now. And um, I had to look closely in myself at what, if I see porn as a symptom, looking at objectifying women, uh, it seems to be normal for men but i notice in myself and other men that i've worked with over the years that it's heightened when i'm disconnected from myself so in other words if you're having a stressed out day or you're having a hard moment or you feel depressed or anxious as a man uh, for about whatever the content is it doesn't matter you are very vulnerable to going to your addictions and compulsions like sugar porn crackers uh, you know, whatever makes you feel good in the moment. Right. Um, and as you know, it's just such a temporary, it's such a <laughs> unsatisfying experience, you know, at the end of the day, like eating a bag, binging on a bag of chips and a Coke or something is like so bad for you, you know, but it tastes so good in the moment where you can justify it. Right. It's the same with porn. Um, and so I, I like to help men really try to batten down the hatches on getting covering their bases when they're disconnected, finding, finding better, more effective ways to reconnect. So when I'm disconnected from my body, stressed out, dissociated, I'm vulnerable to porn and every other addiction I have, you know, or or compulsion, I'm not addicted to porn, but just those compulsions, right? Those temptations when I'm in myself, it doesn't even occur to me. It's hardly a thought. Um, I'm way more with myself, you know, and when I'm connected to my wife, that's the barometer. If I feel connected to my kids, connected to my wife, I'm connected to me. So it's like, nothing can get in, you know, that's like a protected sanctuary of connection. But a lot of guys don't know how to connect back to our conversation in the beginning about emotions and it's hard for them to connect. So a lot of men are very disconnected. And you got to get that handled if you want to be not surfing porn or not you know, going to your addictions all the time. Because um, I, I find, and there's a great book on this by Gabor Mate in the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, where he's basically asserting that addiction is a relationship issue. It's a relationship issue from early, early infancy in the primary formative years. A lot of children who weren't connected to and attuned to become disconnected kids and then they're on video games all day for example um where they have their addictions and they don't they don't see human beings as a resource because they got hurt or neglected or ignored so it's a it's a big topic here and i I think we can handle the porn epidemic uh by getting men connected Mm -hmm. i would like to take care of it because why would you when i'm in my heart it's like people men don't hurt other people when they're in their heart and in a way, there's a lot of porn that's like, feels harmful, kind of like taking advantage of women in the porn industry. There's like a whole conversation there, but violence, just the violence and how men are hurting other men um, and how many deaths there are from men hurting, killing other men is like, dude, those are, you're disconnected when you're in your heart, you don't kill people or
0: beat people up, you know? So what are some of the practices that you would advocate to become more connected?
1: Yeah. Uh, any kind of mindfulness practice is good. Meditation, walking, yoga, exercise. Um, uh, I like relationship like looking in my wife's eyes and saying I'm disconnected from you. I feel scared. I feel checked out. Um, I want to check in. And then usually it's like, we slowly talk about how to get more connected. and, And one of the ways we can talk about it is just talk about our feelings. I'm scared. I feel sad. I think I'm kind of shut down. I don't know what's going on in here. All of that's a a way to connect to a partner. You don't have to like be the superhuman connected. You go into connection by talking about and being honest about what's going on with you, right. As to your best of your ability. Um, those are some ideas. Um, yeah, meditation was a game changer for me. And then really just men's groups, relationship work in general, like becoming a coach therapist person like i'm very ineffective when i'm disconnected from myself right as a coach yeah i can't i can't i'm not as good with people right so it's it's cool to if you're in the service-based industry like that your work could be a place where you connect
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and something else that i was thinking of there as well as you were speaking about relationships and the challenges that men have is feeling this level of responsibility for the woman in their lives as well. And that potentially being linked to being made to feel responsible for their, for the mothers as a child as well, because the mothers were potentially left there on their own with the children while the dad was absent. Now, again, this is perhaps opening up another can of worms here, but the dad was <laughs> absent from the home. The mother was there with the children, and the mother, of course, is also traumatized or in pain or, or having some difficulties. Yeah. The, uh, the responsibility of looking after your mother and her feelings and emotions is laid upon you.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a big one. Those men become usually they get labeled as people, pleasers, nice guys codependents. Um, there's a lot of quote labels, but if you, if you, if we take the labels off and we look at a little boy who had no choice, but to try to help his mom feel okay. Um, that's a that's a very understandable move um but it's a bummer that he had to have that kind of responsibility but those types of young boys turn into men who are a little more relationally attuned and interested that's what's cool there's a high side to that you could say there's a neurotic side and there's a high side low side high side and the high side is these guys become great fucking acupuncturists therapists doctors nurses coaches you know, they've they become very skilled at that because they were tracking Mom their entire childhood <laughs> making sure she was okay, so that's a superpower, right and it can also have a downside, uh, which is you can find you t- those kind of guys tend to attract women who struggle so they be- they become the helper in the relationship A trauma bond as such um, you could say trauma bond, but it's more like um, I have the, the sort of wounded partner that I, and I'm not wounded. And so I'm, my job is to just help them feel okay in life. And it, it gets those kind of dynamics get really stuck. Cause it's not mutual. It's codependent. That would be probably the best term for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll help,
1: I'll help the wife, but she doesn't help me, you know?
0: Okay. But that, so then you're also pushing her away because you don't want that help. You don't, you don't feel like you deserve the help because you're, you were never helped as a child as well
1: uh yeah it's it's funny though codependence they don't even push push it away because they're not even aware they're, they're they're like completely asleep to this dynamic but they they start to develop a growing resentment over time right that the they're not getting their needs met but they're kind of like they're getting so validated by life they become great doctors or professionals they're like wow you're so great you're so good with people you're so amazing you help so many fucking people in the world look at you go so they get It reinforced right by society and by the people they surround themselves with. So they were like, I'm doing great. What are you talking about? (laughs) But, but then they come to someone like me and they're like, dude, that is bullshit. You are not getting met mutually in your relationship. That sucks. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they're like, what? Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any needs or I guess I do. And yeah, when's the last time your wife did something for you? I don't remember. You know, I'm like, that's not good. Mm -hmm. You want it to be mutual. Mutual eye level. Speaking, I help you. You help me. We're here for each other.
0: You're speaking, you're speaking to my, uh, 33 year old self here. I've been there before, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and, uh, yeah, it, it it certainly had built a lot of resentment in the relationship and something that I was completely unaware of at the time, of course, until I stepped back from it and asked some questions and cultivate a bit of time of, um, of, peace and time alone in my life to really allow these feelings and emotions to come yeah. up. Of course, explore that then with a the therapist. And, and the, yeah. And the one thing that you mentioned earlier as well, when you, when you went through this process yourself was it sounded like you made some substantial progress over a six month period with the men's group. And I can tell you from my perspective that it certainly, I certainly didn't get there in six months. So my question is, is there more power or more progress to be made in a group as opposed to doing it on a one hmm. basis with a therapist or what's your
1: well, that's a good question i mean to be clear i was in a men's group for six years um that one we disbanded that one and then uh, many years ago i joined another men's group a smaller group and i've been in that group for i don't know how many years now seven eight years so uh men's groups to me it's like a both and I'm a big fan of group work because there's something powerful when when men get together and are honest about their, what's really going on inside, right? Mm-hmm. Both a facilitated group by like an expert wizard guy, great facilitator or peer run men's groups. Those are huge too. Um, those are awesome. Uh, but I think we all need our individual coach, mentor, practitioner, therapist from time to time, right? Just in our corner, helping us work through the hard trauma or the memory or the thing that we're going through. Um, whether it's we're trying to up level our money life or our fitness life, or whether we're trying to work through a historical thing with our mom or dad. Like it's essential, man, just to to get help. And it, it's hard for guys because we we like to think we can do it by ourselves. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. And there's a level of uh compassion that's necessary there as well, isn't it, for a lot of men? Because a lot of men are very critical of themselves. And it's yeah uh, Having the compassion to know that you know what I'm not okay, I need help, and uh, right. know that it's almost wrong. I, I find this a lot of, with some men that I work with that it's almost wrong for them not to not to be okay or not to express their sadness or their or their difficulties to anyone, and they shut that down as well because of um, this inner critic or the uh, or the lack of compassion. Like I only had a conversation. Yeah. It was maybe my first first guest on this podcast. Cassie Klein, I think it was maybe two years ago whenever I started started this podcast. And she mentioned self-compassion. And I was like, well, what, what the fuck is self-compassion? <laughs> and then and then <laughs> questions. Hey, man, you're being extremely critical of yourself. You never give yourself a break. You're always pushing forward. You're always meeting other people's needs. And if you don't do that, you're giving yourself a hard time. Now, this is all going through. This was I was sure. going through the process of healing and thought that I was coming out the other side of it, and then oh, hang on, there's something something missing here. And a big thing for me was I would look back, and I'm sure you've been there before too. You look back at your 20 year old self or your 25 year old self, and you look back and think, "Oh, you fucking idiot!" Like the, the mess you were in back then and the the shit you were up to. Uh, you should be ashamed of yourself. Like on a subconscious level, you're thinking this about your about your form yeah. self, which is ultimate. yeah yourself and for me the big almost like the the final piece of the healing process was for me to forgive myself for what i had done in my life and yeah that's i i I think i've i think i've got to that point but it's of course as you know this is a this is a a daily lifelong process and um, yeah you know it's but that was a, a massive turning point where i had to yeah bring that back to myself and ask and ask myself some questions in terms of, Hey man, you're still giving yourself a hard time for what you've done in the past. Why? Like that guy back then, he was broken. He was lost. He didn't have support. He was, he hadn't even processed a traumatic incident that he'd been involved in. Like he was completely unaware of that. So that guy doesn't need to be kicked. He's already down the ground. He's already hurt. That guy needs to, mm-hmm. I need to, you need to go back there and, tell him it's going to be okay, you know, and, uh, forgive him and forgive yourself. So I think a lot of guys get, get caught in that too, in terms of their, Oh yeah. They've done in the past, you know, they're still beating themselves up for it.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, one of my favorite, I just taught a class on this yesterday in terms of kind of another way to talk about this is shame and guilt, right? We feel shame and guilt about the past. Cause I did, I've done some really stupid shit in my life and really hurtful things to other people. Right. Um, So part of my healing journey has been to um, not only feel the feelings around that, grief, anger, regret, remorse, whatever they are, shame, uh, but also to start to see the benefits of what I went through, given who I was at the time and the values I had at the time. I didn't have these growth-oriented values and tools back then, right? So I couldn't have actually behaved any differently. So I, I was doing the best I could at that time with what I had, which wasn't much. Uh, And what are the benefits to me and to other people that I acted that way? And what would be the drawbacks if I never did that? Well, so much of my pain and the pain I've caused other people helped me become a guide for other people, a more effective guide and teacher, right? And mentor for other people. So if I just had the perfect life and I just coasted along and everything was great, I I would be kind of worthless as a guide, right? Um, So I think it's our, uh, especially as healers, our our pain and our path and everything we've traumas triumphs everything we've been through makes us more fit to lead other people and to help other people through theirs right so yeah forgiveness is another another option um i like uh i like trying to see the benefits um, to myself and others drawbacks had it never happened it's just an interesting cognitive exercise for people
0: and for yourself do you you, would you still experience some of those emotions and feelings come up in the past like the, the the negative stuff does it still come at you and then but now you've got the tools and strategies to be able to deal with it or to, to be able to process it or even if something happened today or it happened tomorrow that challenged you that triggered you that it's provoking something in the past that maybe hasn't yet been fully addressed or processed is, is that still a process for you or
1: oh yeah yeah i mean I, I think i'll be working through my own stuff probably the rest of my life um I have a pretty, I've done a tremendous amount of work on my family of origin, my parents, my, I feel grateful for how my parents raised me and, um, the way they did exactly. Cause I wouldn't be who I am now doing what I'm doing had they not done exactly what they did. So, uh, and we have a good relationship and, um, work through other stuff that the women I've hurt, the breakups, the, you know, Um, But things emerge, right, from time to time based on what's going on in my life. And as you know, being a dad, your kids will also show you, and when they reach certain milestones in their life, you begin to get triggered around something that happened to you, right? So I have a 13-year-old, 11-year-old. There's all kinds of stuff that comes up for me about my son, who's 13 in middle school, and when he's having a hard time socially, it just brings up all the shit I had to go through in middle school that was a nightmare for me, right? And being bullied and picked on. And uh, so I I get, I could easily project that all onto him. Right. As if he's some wounded version of me and he's not, he's like a badass, and he's like so much more equipped and capable than I was. (laughs) So I have to like check that shit. My wife and I talk about it. And then if I need to go to therapy around that or do some coaching sessions around that, I do that. Mm -hmm. And then there's things in the recent past, like fuck ups I did as a business owner two years ago, right. That I'm like, shit, damn it you know, that I, I've got to like clean up that mess and work through that and get back in integrity with myself, you know? So I I think it's just ongoing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there, man, for sure. Especially we're not just doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for our kids too. And for the next generation that follows, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So important. It's not, it's, it's, there's, there's a bigger picture in here. So, uh, yeah, I love it, man. And could you tell us a bit more about the actual work you do and how you, how you operate and where to find sure, it? Sure, man.
1: Yeah. So I founded the relationship school many years ago, cause I got tired of complaining that there was no school. I didn't learn this in high school or college. Right. So I just started a school <laughs> naively, not knowing what I was getting into. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to be a business owner and I was like, fuck, this is hard. Um, so we coach people now and teach people from all over the world. We have digital products and trainings, um, on, you know, how to have a successful marriage type stuff, uh, down to just how to work through conflict. I wrote a book on that. I can talk about that. And we train relationship coaches. I, I was naive enough to think that I could train people to do what I do with others. So I kind of did a train the trainer program and we've certified over 125 coaches now. And it's been a lot of work, but it's been very rewarding. And I've learned a shitload about myself, right. As a leader and teacher, um, Yeah. Got a podcast. So, you know, I I think we're just all things relational. If you want to upgrade your relationship life, this is a good place to come
0: hang out. Yeah. Well, I'll add, I'll add all those links below and and the book as well. What's the book called?
1: Yeah. So the book's called uh, getting to zero, um, how to work through conflict in your high stakes relationships. And, uh, I think it's the, the, I wrote it because I was like, Hey, what's the hardest part of relationships? It seems like it's conflict for people. So I wrote a book to try to solve that problem and have a resource. And, and guys like it because it's got a lot of diagrams and shit and <laughs> like and like step-by-step step, do these three steps. <laughs> Very tactical, right? And practical. Nice one. Yeah. So I think, it's, I think it's the definitive guide on how to work through hard stuff with other humans.
0: Cool. Well, I'm going to add that in the show notes as well. Is that, where's the best place to get that? Amazon or?
1: Yeah, that's probably there. Or if you like to support your local bookstores, you can try to go advocate that it gets shipped there. And if you want to support a local business.
0: Great, man. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Jason. This has been an absolute privileged and I've taken a lot of value from this myself. I'm sure the listeners have done so too. So thank you for your energy and for the great work you're doing. And this relationship's school, I've got to go and check it out and do some, do some further learning. So looking forward to that, man. Thank you
1: yeah you're so welcome man thanks Gavin for uh, helping so many men out there and doing what you're doing
0: likewise my man thank you for tuning in to another episode of the modern warrior podcast if this episode has added value to your life please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight information and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.